fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about trains and houses with my friend Vienno. I hate both of those things. You hate both trains and houses. Yeah. <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> We're coming out contrarian right at right at the gate. <laughs> well, you, I guess like you might be siding with Ezra. You don't know. What if? <laughs> what if we get into it and Ezra also hates trains and houses? You don't know. True. I'm sure Ezra despises houses. <laughs> How are you, Vienna? I'm tired. Um, Ramadan Mubarak to if any of our listeners are Muslim. Um, I'm fasting. Um, my voice feels a little bit dry. I'm not doing pretty good. How are you? I am also doing pretty good. I uh, I am not. I do not uh, celebrate uh, Ramadan, and so I am not fasting. Well, I mean, I, I celebrated on your behalf, like uh, Ramadan Mubarak and all that. But like, uh, I am currently not fa- fasting. Is I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Jody I'm... has yet to convert to Islam. That's true. I still remain unconverted generally, uh, <laughs> or converted to the atheist faith, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever uh, you deem that to be. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, I- I've been uh, eating better for the past week and sleeping better, so uh, it's given me a lot more energy, which is nice, and uh, hopefully I stay on that, because I enjoy having the energy rather than feeling, uh, you know, dead inside. <laughs> That is a plus. But, uh, yeah, Uh, so hopefully uh, we will compensate for each other's either energy or lack thereof (laughs) and uh, plow through this episode uh, about houses and or trains. Why not both? Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So this was for the week of March 28th, all the way to April Fool's Day. And we start with March 28th, which uh, the entire episode is an interview with a lawyer named Keith Wilson. Keith has a seemingly interesting history. Most of his work as a lawyer, according to his own website, which is why I said seemingly before, because <laughs> I'm all basing this on like things he's reported, so... Uh, take that for what it's worth. But uh, it seems like most of his work is offering legal support to people who have had their farms contaminated by oil and gas companies in Alberta. And I I guess, like, by looking at that, I would say that this guy is probably a pretty good person, like a fairly good mm-hmm. person. <laughs> you would assume. Uh, apparently, uh, he's things have changed since COVID. Uh he is now like staunchly against the government mandates and all that. He apparently also was a friend of Ezra's in university when they were both in law school. So uh, that is also interesting that one of Ezra's friends would go on to be uh, a person defending litigants uh, against like, okay. oil and gas companies. <laughs> so he's an oil industry plant that like gets people to take lower settlement co- settlement fees. Yeah, I don't know. 
I couldn't, this is the thing I was trying to see because it does say he's been on like government panels and stuff like this, but I didn't do like an extensive background check on him. So it could be that like he's like lobbied governments to like reduce regulations, but like it also seems like in reading some of the cases where he defended uh, plaintiffs against oil and gas companies, it seemed like he was uh, supportive of regulations that help protect these people. So in in that respect, like, I, I guess, like, good job, Keith. <laughs> a, a tentative good job until I learn more about this guy uh, beyond the anti-COVID shit. Uh, or at least I should say anti-COVID mandate shit. The, so now that he's like against the COVID mandates, he has been contracted by the JCCF, which for those who don't remember, they're a uh, frequent collaborator with Rebel News. They're the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. And John Carpe, their president, was recently kicked, resigned being the president and was brought back uh, because he was caught spying on a Halifax judge. <laughs> so... They have their own problems, but they've hired Keith Wilson, I guess, to be their sort of like convoy lawyer. And so he's going to be representing a lot of the people within the convoy. Keith is also involved with Brian Peckford, who was the ex-premier of Newfoundland. Peckford was suing the government or, or cha constitutionally challenging the government by saying that the airplane vaccine mandates were unconstitutional. And Keith is the one arguing on behalf of Brian Peckford that constitutional challenge. So Keith is deeply involved in all the, you know, COVID denialist legal soup shit. He's on Rebel, however, to talk about his new client, which is Tamara Litch. And Tamara Litch was one of the main organizers of the trucker convoy who... I think was given uh, additional charges recently, but is mostly being charged for uh, uh, for mischief, but and also counseling mischief. So like getting other people to to break the law, basically, or at least telling people to break the law. Yeah. Now there's not much to talk about in this interview since like, you know, mainly they're just like, "Woe is us! The government's out to get us!" and <laughs> you know. Uh, not worth clipping them repeating themselves over and over again about how, like, victimized they are. But there was a few, like, standout points that I want to get to. The first is that Keith compares Tamara Lich to Russian dissident and political prisoner Alexei Navalny. If you read the bail conditions that she's under, it would make uh, Vladimir Putin proud. What I mean by that is it, her bail conditions prevent her from things that on their surface may not seem so dramatic, but she's not allowed to use social media in any kind of way, despite the fact that she's a mother and a grandmother. So she can't use Facebook with her grandkids and so on. She can't, but it keeps going. And it says she cannot do anything to publicly advocate against COVID-19 policies and restrictions, and she cannot do anything to promote or support freedom truckers and freedom. Hmm. So if she does those things, she's supposed to go back to jail. So uh, Valani, the Putin's chief critic who's in jail, 
uh, was able a couple of weeks ago to call on Russians from jail to protest in the streets of the, the war in Ukraine. He was able to give lists of oligarchs to foreign governments. But Tamara Litch has been transferred from a cement jail cell to a virtual jail cell where she's completely muzzled. <laughs> completely muzzled. <laughs> I I do like he he did mispronounce Navalny's name, which is funny when you're trying to make a, a point Vinalny about Navalny or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um. See, I was wondering if it was going to be about their opinions on refugees. Uh. Yeah. Well, that I mean, like. Yeah, we don't need to litigate <laughs> Navalny and how, like, he's a crappy individual. I mean, like, the other thing is, like, he is uh, a political prisoner, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And it's quite possible that he was poisoned by the Russian uh, government. Uh, possible. Like, I, I'm not yeah, going yeah, to no, it's, that. <laughs> it's more about just, like, how the fuck do you mess up a poisoning? Like <laughs> Well, I mean, governments are always incompetent, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny, like, incompetence, though. There's there's just, like, layers of this that are silly in terms of, like, comparing his situation to Tamara's. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, for one, Tamara, I mean, if you want to communicate with your grandkids, like, you don't have to use Facebook. You could just, like, I don't know, Zoom call them or something. <laughs> A phone call? Yeah. <laughs> How old is she? Uh, I'm not sure. It must be in the 40s or 50s. Because if she's a grandparent already, then like chances are her grandkids don't have Facebook. Yeah. Like, what? I don't have Facebook. Like, but even like they make the claim like Navalny is directing protests while in prison, and it's yeah. like. What what is the implication there? Like it's not like the Russian government is being like Navalny, here you go, uh, organize the people against us. It's like he's doing it through like his lawyers or like through whatever means he can to get a message out stealthily against the Russian government's like will. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But he makes it sound like the Russian government is so nice that they're just allowing Navalny to do all this stuff while they're keeping him a political prisoner. Yeah, and while they're arresting, like, thousands or tens of thousands of anybody who, like, comes out against the war, too. Like, I mean, even the thing about the the list is kind of silly, because... So he he says that Navalny released a list of the oligarchs that are now being used for the sanctions, but that list was released back in January of 2021, a week after he was re like put into prison. So like he fled to Europe for a while and returned to Russia in January of 2021. And that's when he was arrested. And it was a week after when the uh, list came out of the oligarchs and it didn't come from Navalny himself. It came from like uh, an, aqu- like someone affiliated, like an acquaintance of his or like part of the legal team. So it's like mm-hmm. he must have given it to them and then that person gave it to the world. So it's not, <laughs> again, it's not like the Russian government was like, please, Navalny, release to the world a list of all the oligarchs to receive sanctions. Like, it's just My a- <laughs> favorite thing about the things that Tamara Lich is banned for is talking about freedom. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> there's no way that's in the bail conditions. 
it's no it's it's literally just like she's banned from like using social media and banned from communicating about the trucker convoy in part because that's like why she's being charged with mischief because like she was like she was telling the truckers what to do and she was encouraging them or like directing them to break the law i mean we can, we, I mean, like, that's the one thing. You could bicker about the law. You could be like, it's still a protest and maybe we shouldn't use these laws to, to prosecute them or whatever. But those are different questions than the fact that she broke the law. Like, that's, <laughs> at least be honest about what's, like, fucking happening. Instead, they're like, oh, she's she's being charged by things that aren't real. And it's, it's uh, we're all victims. And it's a, it's, she's a political prisoner, just like Navalny. And, like, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Because again, these aren't uh, these aren't trumped up charges. She's being charged literally for the things she did. <laughs> and it was like fourteen days or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah. less than that, wasn't it? In prison, and they were like, "Yeah, she won't have to serve more time, most likely, because yeah, she'll likely just receive a fine." Yeah, yeah. But, but that's the sa- she's in a virtual prison cell. Yep. She's allowed to use make phone calls and talk to people and go out and do whatever she wants. And but she can't use Facebook. And it's a virtual prison while she's in bail. And we can have cr- criticisms about bail. We can have criticisms about virtual prisons, all that fun shit. But it's like, this is going to go away once, like, she served her time or the trial's done. Like, this... <laughs> yeah. It's not like she's been forever muzzled to, like... Well, I mean, technically, we're all, we're all forever muzzled from breaking the law with... <laughs> technically but i mean she can break it again i mean she could even break her bail conditions if she wants to i mean arthur Pulowski is doing it over and over again she could just uh you know join join with him if you if she wants to and then she can be a real political prisoner yeah <laughs> just like arthur Pavlovsky. so then we get to uh wilson bringing up this guy named tom morazzo and I only wanted to cover this because I know you know things about him uh, <laughs> or, or you're aware of him as a person. But apparently, like, he yeah. was involved with the, the trucker convoy. And and Wilson brings him up because he's one of the people who had their banks bank accounts frozen. And he thinks that Ezra should have him on the show to, I guess, talk about what that's like. And apparently Tom Morazzo... Uh, said that him having his bank account frozen was him being like a victim of a thought crime because he he thought things about the government and that's why they froze his bank account. <laughs> okay. Tom Marazzo was the dude who, like, former military, served for, I don't know, like 20 years. He was the dude who was talking about, like, yeah, we'll talk with the Senate and the Governor General about forming a new government type of thing. Like, that was him. Yeah, let's get the monarchy to solve our, our COVID yeah, issues. But, but, like, that was the closest that they came for openly calling for a coup, too. Like, and that was him saying that. Yeah. Like, it was not thought crimes. He said them. He said them at news conferences. And yeah, and so I guess now this Keith Wilson person is trying to tell him to go on to... Uh, to Ezra's show. The last thing we're sharing is that Keith has been given the list of names that the government used to freeze people's bank accounts, and both Keith and Ezra are shocked that the list is derived from reporting on the event. 
well, how does one become a designated person? Um, I received the list. It's over 100 pages long, and it has the evidence. All of my clients appear in the first 20 pages. And it has on the left-hand side, as the OPP and the RCMP logos all over it, and I, this police officer, investigated this, and here's what I found, and I believe these people are all designated persons. And it has a little picture, thumbnail picture on the left, and their date of birth and their personal information, their address, description about who they are, what they do, and any remarkable comments, which were really weird, the comments they picked. But anyway, and then you get to the last page of part one, and it has the evidentiary source. Okay, so where did they gather this evidence from to conclude that these people were so serious of a threat to Canada's national security that they had to invoke the war measures, the equivalent of the War Measures Act? What, what, what evidence investigative activity do they gather in? I kid you not, it says source, CTV News, who's who in the Freedom Convoy, and it has the hyperlink. Oh, my God. So this, this police investigator didn't even have to put his donut down, sat at his desk, went click, 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 cut, paste. So the, the complaint there is that the police reporters or not police reporters the the police investigation all they did to figure out whose bank accounts to freeze was read a ctv report that's the claim now the thing is i right after this ezra goes i could have been on that list and uh and then, <laughs> and then uh keith is like well i could give you the list but you can't share it with anyone because it's like it has like revealing information or something uh, and then they have a back and forth about whether or not Ezra can publish this fucking list or like whatever. But what, <laughs> to me, I'm like, if this is true, because like I haven't seen the list, I, I can't verify that this is indeed what Keith is saying it is. But like, let's say that this is true, that all the police did would go, was like, whose bank accounts do we want to freeze? Here's what we're using as evidence, the CTV story. And part of me is like, why would that necessarily be bad on the face of it? Because, like, if the reporting is... I mean, a lot of these people were very public-facing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was, like they, were, they were quiet about it. So, so all you need is evidence. Is like, here's a report stating all the things that they did and said. Here's the people we should freeze their bank accounts. Like, <laughs> that doesn't seem too absurd on the face of it, you know? No. Like, I guess, like, they expect that the police should have, like, like, I, I don't know, done a criminal investigation before, like, but then what's the point of it being, like, an emergency thing? And, and, like, you know, because I don't even think they should have done the emergency act in the first place or freeze their bank accounts for what it's worth. It's just, like, it's weird that this is the thing where they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> what have we come to? The police are be, using CTV as, as as evidence? It'd be really funny if, like, their objection was like, come on, you missed some people. Well, I mean, because so here's the thing is Ezra says, like, was I on the list? And, and he says no. And Ezra was like, but I was on the stage. I talked. It's almost like he feels bad that, like, he... <laughs> uh, <laughs> he I wish they'd got him. Yeah. 
it's uh yeah which is why it makes me believe because like keith does over in some sense overstated by being like all it meant was like you had to stand on the stage and then ctv marked your name as you like talked on the stage and that's how you uh were given or put on this list but then ezra was like i was on the stage but he wasn't on the list so it's like I, yeah i don't know just the whole thing is yeah. silly i'd so like it's to very see obviously list. more involved than that maybe <laughs> yeah i mean i'm sure um, we can find the ctv article i tried looking based on the words that keith used in describing the article and i could not find the article because he kind of describes it as like a who who a who's who a part of the trucker convoy and i could not find a ctv article about it so i don't know if he's also misstating like maybe it was a cbc article or maybe it was something else but uh either way that's uh that's all i could find And that ends our Keith Wilson segment. But we, we move on to March 29th. And on Tuesday, Ezra wants to talk about Randy Hillier, who was recently arrested. And he also wants to talk about Randy Hillier in the interview section, which is with a lawyer named David Anber, who is Randy's lawyer. And David Anber has been on the show before, and he is a lawyer for the Rebel News-related charity called the Democracy Fund. So, you know, it's all... Uh, <laughs> it's incestuous relationships all the way down. So, you know, a Rebel News lawyer for the Democracy Fund is representing Randy Hillier uh, against his criminal charges. Now, there's not much to talk about here since the majority of the episode, again, is just whining about how this is a politically motivated arrest and uh, how they're all victims which is always the line. But I briefly wanted to mention two things. And for those who don't remember, I mean, like, I guess this doesn't need to be stated, but if you're not from Canada, Randy Hillier is a member of uh, the provincial government of Ontario. He used to be a member of the Progressive Conservative Party, and we will get to in a second why he's no longer a member of the Progressive Conservative Party. But... Uh, that's sort of his background, and during the pandemic, he's been pretty outspoken against the mandates. Uh, right from the start, given that at the time, he was one of the only independent members of uh, the provincial parliament. So the first thing that I want to mention here is that Ezra claims Randy was kicked out of the PC party for being against mask mandates and lockdowns. But Vienna, why don't you tell our audience, why was Randy Hillier kicked out of the Progressive Conservative Party? Was it due to masks and vaccine mandates or something else? No, it was due to him <laughs> insulting the parents of autistic children. That's right. <laughs> he, in, while they were, uh, it was after he had a meeting with them, he was leaving the meeting and went to the, the press and the press were asking him questions. And I can't remember exactly what the question was, but in response to, like, what was going on, he basically went, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I think he was just, like, walking by and somebody was like, hey, how did how did the meeting go? And he was like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, left. So uh, that's, and that was before the pandemic. So it had nothing to do with the pandemic. He was kicked out of the Progressive Conservative Party because he's an asshole. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much why he was kicked out. But that did give him the freedom, I guess, early on to be against the mandates and to make a name for himself. So that's what he did. The second point I want to bring up is that one 
of Hillier's nine charges, and the only one that Ezra focuses on in the episode is the charge of assaulting the police. Ezra thinks this is ridiculous, a charge, and it says that it's based on the video of Hillier moving a fence at the convoy protest. Now, I don't know for a fact, and I tried looking for any information on this, why exactly Hillier was charged with assaulting police, and I could not find any, like, coherent information on this, other than that people are suggesting, and it's usually coming from right-wing sources, that it comes from this video, and what the video shows is Hillier moving this barricade at Parliament Hill in Ottawa and allowing some of the convoy people to go up the steps towards uh, Parliament. Now, in that video, you can see Hillier kind of nudge a police officer out of the way with his shoulder. Now, is that assault? I think it reasonably could be argued as assault, uh, because that's sometimes how the courts work. <laughs> but I also think yeah. that, like, he could get away with it and be not found guilty, be found not guilty uh, for that. Okay, so, like, I'm not saying... Uh, uh, this uh, charge is going to stick. My, my point is, uh, if if this is in fact the incident that is being highlighted here, but they of course make it sound so ridiculous that he would be uh, charged with it for nudging a police officer out of his way with his shoulder. However, I d highly doubt that Ezra would at all give any charitability to any other left-wing protester that shoved a police officer out of the way with his shoulder. Just saying, I don't... <laughs> I don't think Ezra would give that charitability. Yeah. And I also don't, again, I don't know that it is in fact the case, but I, I mean, it's also the thing, or it's the case that the fence thing is the thing. But he's also charged with a bunch of other crimes that are pro he's probably definitely guilty of. <laughs> and like, of course, Ezra never focuses on any of those. Like, again, similar to Tamara Lich, Hillier is being charged with... Uh, uh, counseling to commit mischief as well as mischief and other crimes and or even obstructing the police so the fact of him moving the barricade uh, i mean is probably against the law so there you go and of course like he's a political he's a, he's a being charged for political reasons because he's an mpp but guess what mpps still can't break the law it <laughs> you know yeah there is no diplomatic immunity no, as an MPP, there's no... <laughs> you yeah. Can, you can now just commit murder. You can just go on a murder spree, you know? It's one of the perks of a public office. Also, sorry. Uh, I was wrong. Randy Hillier did not say blah, blah, blah. He said yada, yada, yada. Oh, okay. Either way. <laughs> yeah. Same. Just setting the record straight. Yeah. Very dismissive of... Uh, Parents of autistic children. So now we reach March 30th, the Wednesday, and Ezra goes on an extended rant about uh, TikTok, especially how uh, the Chinese government is spying on all of us with TikTok. But then he says he can't give it up, though, because <laughs> he's addicted to Ezra is addicted to TikTok, apparently. And... Uh, it's a very jarring episode because the first half of the monologue about TikTok has nothing to do with the second half of the monologue other than Ezra is going to talk about something that he was inspired by uh, after he saw it on TikTok. So, that, <laughs> so 
So we just, we had to include the xenophobia at the beginning and about how Chinese, uh, the Chinese government is spying on us using TikTok. And some of the arguments there are like silly to me. He's like, the Chinese government is going to know the things that you're interested in. And therefore... <laughs> I guess, like, they will have control over you, is the argument. But I don't know how the two relate. It's kind of similar in, like, some respects with, like, a lot of the, like, Facebook things where it's like, oh, wow, Facebook knows everything about you and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but for the most part, the only thing that they know how know to do with that is, like, give you annoying targeted ads ads. like they haven't largely figured out what to do with the vast majority of the data that they have on people like we haven't entered i mean it's still not great but like we haven't entered like minority report yet (laughs) yeah but the weird thing there is like you could you could make a better case for if like Facebook was working with the American government and spying on American people and using the data for like surveillance purposes within America, that would kind of like that creates a lot of issues, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. should be very concerning. But it's weird, like talking about a foreign government collecting your pe- like your personal information. Like I guess like part of his argument is that somehow the Chinese government is going to know the things that you said on Twitter or TikTok or whatever and like so say say you say you do like a homophobic video on TikTok his concern is that the Chinese government is going to blackmail you later <laughs> for saying something homophobic on tw- on TikTok and then I'm like yeah but you said the homophobic thing on TikTok like <laughs> anyone could use that information that you you did that it was for the public uh, consumption. Like, I don't... I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, he saw something on TikTok he wants to talk about. And it has to do with uh, the housing market. So the video was a comedian who's making fun of boomers who talk about, like, kids these days, uh, you know, not buying houses. When he's like, you know... When you were young, housing was, like, so cheap, and now it's, like, super expensive, you know? We've all heard, like, I'm obviously not telling a joke here, but, like, you could probably imagine various punchlines in your head. <laughs> but, like, you know, we've all we've all heard these complaints before. And Ezra wants to give his reasons for why uh, housing prices in Canada are as high as they are. And here are the reasons that he gives, okay? This is his comprehensive list of why housing prices are skyrocketing within Canada, okay? You ready? Okay. Number one, the green belt and other environmental zoning policies prevent the construction of new homes and therefore contributes to the rising cost of housing. Okay, Doug Ford. What do you say to that, Vieto? True or I just, false? I just said it. That's it. <laughs> like, I think Doug Ford already did this in 2018. Like, I, I find it funny because, like, when you look at the thing, like, I mean, I guess their complaint is that the green belt kind of, like, surrounds the current perimeter of tr- Toronto and the growing mass of suburbs associated with mm-hmm. Toronto, okay? So it's like there's a limit to that kind of expansion. However, the green belt is very thin. 
So it's like you could build <laughs> on the other side of the green belt, and it would just be a little further from Toronto than if, like, <laughs> if you, you wanted to. You could also just build denser housing. That as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, it's amazing that it's, it's, you know, the problem is that we're conserving green spaces. We should just get rid of... And and it's also it's like the reason why the green belt exists in the first place is such that we we have sustainable waterways to help our farming communities so that we can grow food in this province. I don't know. Seems <laughs> we should just get rid of that. Who who cares about feeding people as long See, as they have a place to live? My anti house stance is correct. Like. No, I agree. We should have denser, denser housing. That would solve this problem completely. Uh, uh, or at least the the issue being we don't have enough places for people to live uh, that Ezra is raising. But, he, yeah, but here's the, the other pricing thing. issue is different. The other issue is that we already have enough housing. The pro- There's tons mm-hmm. of housing that's sitting there unoccupied, which is another way for like, uh, which is a thing that Ezra never brings up, which is that people are inflating the housing market by sitting on vacant homes. Which is probably yep. a real reason <laughs> why the cost of housing is going up. Next, number two, we have too many immigrants, and they all want homes, so this is demand driving up prices. What do you say to that, Vienna? <laughs> How dare those people want homes? Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, this is against, like, he's being like, we shouldn't have anyone come to our, I'm like, this to me would be like, we shouldn't have anyone giving birth either, right? Like, why is it focused on the immigrants? It's like, new people are going to want homes eventually, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's just so dumb. It's also not, like, I do not think this is related to housing prices at all. If anything, wouldn't demand lower prices? I don't think so. Because everyone is going to want a home, so they're going to go towards cheaper homes. And like, I, like I don't know how supply and demand. Like, I, I don't even no, think like if people want homes, then real estate agents can be like, okay, we're we're charging eight hundred thousand where we charged two hundred thousand five years ago. Like, yeah, it depends on like where the the pressure points are coming from. I mean, like that's the other thing in thinking of this in like super simplistic supply and demand like terms because it's like the world is complicated with a ton of variables. Like it's not. <laughs> It's not just supply and demand. It's like resources involved, uh, locations involved, uh, how like where these housing housing is, whether the housing is in a place people want to live. Uh, just like so many things involved that never get brought up here. Mostly, I don't think that is the problem though. Like the issue is that housing is a speculate like speculative asset. Like it's it's the same as gold. Like it's just kind of a you buy a bunch and you save it because you know that it's going to be worth more and not seen as a, like, just basic human necessity that everybody needs to survive. So because it's treated like that, it is kind of just like, oh, yeah, if people will pay this much, we can charge this much. And that's it. Like, it doesn't... Everything else is kind of, like, secondary. No, I I, I think you're right. I'm just saying, like, uh, my point being is that 
his his answer to this and seemingly a lot of his problems is just to be like supply and demand <laughs> As well, in, yeah that's that's basic <laughs> economics jody but the thing is it's like that's... it's not basic economics because like that is so basic economics that it is devoid of reality right like yeah <laughs> it's like let's simplify all the variables variables down to just two and that's the answer <laughs> There's no other variables involved. Just supply and demand. That's it. You just need the curves to meet. So yes, that's... And here's... You know what? I said it's a comprehensive list. We've reached the bottom. That's it. That is the explanation for why housing pricing is so high. Uh, Immigrants wanting homes. And we can't build new homes because of the environment. That's... uh... (laughs) Sorry, so that was was two... Things. That's it. That's the That's only the reason. That's why housing prices are so high. Okay. So what we need to do is remove environmental regulations and no more immigrants. That's the solution to the housing market, according to Ezra Levant. Of course. He does add to this, though, uh, beyond just the housing stuff. Uh, he wants to say that immigrants drive down wages. So that's another reason not to have immigrants. And uh, I think we brought this up on the show before, but there is absolutely no evidence that this is the case. Uh, his argument for why this is, a, is the case uh, is, is very straightforward. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> Supply <laughs> and <laughs> demand. <laughs> Supply and demand. Of course. <laughs> oh, my God. I like... I don't even know what the reasoning here. Like, I guess he's saying, like, if there's a lot of workers, they, uh, it, there's demand for jobs, but there's only a few amount of jobs, so they're all going to fight for that job, and therefore it makes the wages go down. But again, yes. this, like, ignores reality and all the other variables which is like people can create new jobs and uh there's also new markets available because there's more people with more purchasing power to buy the things that create new markets etc and so they find that it's actually like a net zero on wage increases or decreases by having immigrants in this country because you you create a new worker and a new consumer this is You're saying that capitalism is capable of reproducing itself? Whoa. I, it's just so stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's just supply and demand. He literally, he says it. It's just supply and demand. That's, you know, obviously. And then you look it up at all the research. Like, you could just research this all you want. Most of the research shows... You'll have some outliers, so there's some, like, concern. I think the Cato Institute is, like, immigrants are evil, but, like, of course the Cato Institute will say that, right? But, like, any, like, university economics uh, research program, they have, like, meta-analyses out there about the effect of immigration on, uh, on income and wages, and it shows that it has a net zero effect. It, does, it doesn't increase them, it doesn't decrease them. It just is consistent. <laughs> So there you go. The more you know. Mm-hmm. Lastly, his final bit of wisdom before he ends this weird-ass segment is that inflation is actually the result of green policies like a tax on gasoline. So that's the only reason we have inflation. It doesn't have to do with anything else. It's just the fact that we also care about the environment that is causing inflation. 
True. You make gas more expensive. Inflation. I don't know why that it is often considered uh, like the economy or like being smart about the economy is like a right wing thing. I don't understand. Like, I guess like that, that comes from the place of right wingers being pro the economy because they're pro capitalist. Right. But like their understanding of the economy is almost non-existent other than like rich people get money. Good. That's (laughs) yeah. No, that's, that's it, Jody. That's the economy. Yeah, but in the popular imagination, like like right wingers are seen as like good for the economy or like good in thinking about the economy. But like they are. Well, if y- yes, I see what you're yeah. saying, but I like because good in terms of like making themselves more like wealthy. But it's like for the, all the other people that get screwed over by the right wing and made less wealthy. They still perceive the right wingers as like quote unquote good for the economy in terms Yes. Yeah. But that's because they all see themselves as temporarily yeah, yeah. poor billionaires. Like I'm just you saying know, they it's want the conditions like, in place for when <laughs> their bootstrapping pays off. I agree with you. I'm just I'm 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 feeling frustrated by it currently in this moment because Ezra is saying yeah. such stupid shit. <laughs> yep. It all sucks. Speaking of things that suck, we uh, we get Ben Weingarten on the show as the guest. And f- for those who don't remember, Ben Weingarten is uh, an asshole who wrote a book called American, American Ingrate, which was a-, a critical conspiracy book about Ilhan Omar specifically claiming that she had a relationship with her brother to get him a green card like they got married or like some weird shit all of it's been proven false he's a complete fraud and a uh whiny little baby so uh usually we could just ignore him but ezra always brings him on to talk about foreign policy shit and i don't know why but here he is again on the show to talk about this stuff and the argument that they're having, or at least the, the arguments they're together working towards, is trying to claim that Joe Biden is unpredictable. Now, that might sound weird given the last few weeks, because we've often highlighted how Ezra likes to praise Donald Trump for also being unpredictable, okay? So now this puts both... Uh, uh, Ben Weingarten and Ezra Levant in this like weird situation where they're both arguing that these two people are unpredictable, yet they're trying to say that Trump's unpredictability is good <laughs> and Biden's unpredictability is is the bad unpredictability. True. And for good unpredictability, Ezra plays again the clip from Trevor Noah from The Daily Show saying that like we played it a couple weeks ago where like trump noah puts on a trump voice being like the uae you forgot to return my call so now i'm gonna bomb you like (laughs) and saying that that unpredictability would have somehow worked well in ukraine or something 
Uh, like somehow if you had Trump in power, he just would have been so unpredictable, unpredictable that like Russia would not have even invaded something like this. Yeah, because so, you couldn't trust Trump not to go for nuclear war instantly. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he might have done it. But, he, <laughs> but then Ben, <laughs> ben goes like really stupid. Okay, so Ben is responding to the playing of this clip. And uh, so I think the, the beginning of this clip, Ezra's going to reference that they play the Trevor Noah clip, but we don't have to play it again. So he references the Trevor Noah clip. And then... Uh, Ben's argument is that the difference between Trump and Biden's unpredictability is that at least with Trump, you knew where he stood, even though he's unpredictable. (laughs) Of course. Point about taking the phone calls. I think that's really on point because Biden sent emissaries to Venezuela, to Saudi, to the other OPEC regimes and said, will you replace Russian oil? Some of them didn't even take his phone call. You would never not take a phone call from Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, you, first of all, you would be very interested in what he wanted to say. You knew he was the decider. You knew he was the boss, or at least if he said something, that was the law. And you were you either respected him or you were afraid of him or something. That's gone. I, I If you wanted, if, if there was someone on the phone from America, I don't even know who you would want on the other line to know you're dealing with the decider, Ben. Yeah, maybe it's Ron Klain. Maybe it's Susan Rice. Maybe it's Jake Sullivan. It's hard to tell. And that should really disturb all Americans. And this gets to kind of the one of the implicit themes that's baked into the walking back of pretty much everything the president says of substance, which is. First of all, who is running things? And then why do you have the question of who is running things? And that gets to the question of the mental acuity, the faculties, the fitness of the commander in chief. And of course, you know, they always attack Trump. Oh, his mental fitness, et cetera. He's he's so irascible. He's all over the place. But to your point, you knew exactly where he stood in terms of we are going to defend America's interests. To do so, we are going to try to make ourselves as strong as possible. We are going to try to create partnerships and alliances to reduce America's direct burden and risk in certain situations, as every power who looks at the world realistically tries to do. I mean, what he describes in the end there is just like a government, uh, like navigating their own like foreign policy. And like somehow Trump did that, but Joe Biden isn't doing that. But no explanation is given other than you knew where Trump stood on those issues, apparently. (laughs) He's, sure. He's yeah. so unpredictable, but you know where he stands because he he cares about strategic interest. <laughs> he's going to make sure that like America gets the things that America needs because America is a person. It has wants and desires. Yeah, I just I had so much difficulty following what either of them were trying to say there. Like, I I just, it didn't work. (laughs) Well, if you thought that didn't work, we then, uh, we're we're now going to get into the ramblings of uh, Ben Weingarten about his whole, we're going to get an analysis of foreign policy, okay? And not only that, (laughs) uh, we're going to get his ideas about how America is, in fact, canceling Russia, okay? (laughs) Sure sort of lack of clarity, the incomprehensibility of, 
you're going to you're going to attack and try to essentially cancel Russia from the international financial system. But then you're going to make carve outs with respect to oil, of course, the strategically most significant area. And then, okay, you might backtrack on that. But then in an Iran deal context, you might have a carve out there for Iranian oil sales to Russia. And then you're going to go to Venezuela, who is an ally, of course, of Iran and Russia and go begging for oil from there. And then also you're going to try to have Russia negotiate an Iran deal 2.0 on your behalf, even though you say that Vladimir Putin has to go. And then you're going to come begging to the Saudis, who you've browbeaten from the start, starting with continuing to perpetuate the narrative about Khashoggi and that governing all of our relations with Saudi Arabia. And of course, Saudi Arabia is not going to take your call. And by the way, is going to hedge by cultivating relations with adversaries to the U.S., including Russia and China. And so at the end of the day, you look at this picture and ultimately, what does the Biden strategy, to the extent there is one, appear to be? It's to make it look like you really care about what happens in Russia and Ukraine, but actually impose real pain on us without seeking a de-escalation scenario and maybe a neutrality scenario, because maybe that's the best thing you're going to get there. A buffer state that stands equally to the extent it's possible between the U.S. and Russia to the extent that's the best way you can have a cessation of hostilities there. Instead, you're you're potentially going to lead to an escalation in that situation. And at the same time, you're going to empower Iran and again, try to make it the strong horse in the region like the Obama-Biden regime did, of course, to the detriment of U.S. national interest. And of course, the power that we're not talking about, which benefits most from all of this, is China. So it's all <laughs> it's all to the detriment of us what Biden is doing and it's promoting China. I mean like all he's stating here like this is the funny thing is all he's like sort of like highlighting here is that yes there's like it's hard doing foreign policy because there's conflicting wants on both sides and like we want to ally with some people who tend to be allies with people we're not allies with and that makes dealing things internationally uh difficult and i mean ignoring the fact that he got some things wrong or just like absurd like i don't know denying the khashoggi (laughs) yeah that was like yeah The one thing I will say is a positive, though. I really appreciate when people refer to American governments as regimes. I really liked that Obama-Biden regime line. Like, (laughs) it always is so funny. I mean, it's similar to the, like, uh, calling our uh, billionaires uh, oligarchs, or not calling them, but we should, you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the Trudeau regime. No, I, I, I approve. I just, like... I just find this like silly, like as if as if these relationships between these various countries would have been different under Trump. You know, it's not like I I mean, I guess the difference is like Trump went along with just ignoring what Saudi Arabia did because he liked selling weapons to them. Uh and not to say that Biden isn't selling the weapons. It's just like Biden, their government realizes that their base is going to take issue a little more of an issue than, say, the Republic. Like, I say this all with knowing, like, they won't really. But, like, yeah, <laughs> they have, like, some, like, perspective that we got to be a little bit nicer about it than, say, Trump was doing, you know. And 
I don't know, like somehow that's going to make a significant difference. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's all that I took away from that is that like Ben Weingarten really misses when like we lived in a unipolar world under American hegemony. Like it was just like a, oh, wow. Remember when it was just us and we could do whatever we wanted to anybody ever. And that's it. Like it was just like a, oh, wow. You have to actually negotiate with states, even if they might be hostile or like you might have fucked them over a number of times. Like, I don't know. It was just like a, whoa, other countries exist. There's a weird, like, desire for a kind of multipolarity, though, in terms of, like, needing that one single enemy that we need to fight against, right? So they always bring up China as being the other world-dominant power that we need to be in combat with. I guess, like, the end result uh, is that, like, eventually we will come out on top or something like this, right? But, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing with the whole, like, Cold War... uh, with Russia and China prior to this, yeah. <laughs> like back in, from the fifties and onward, right? Like, cause there was never really a moment where like America ne- necessarily had that kind of like unipolarity because there was always uh, parts of the world that would push back against it to some degree. It was yeah. the nineties and two thousand. Right. The, the end. Like of, that's uh, it, yeah, right? The end, the end of history. End of history. Yeah. Fukuyama. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, even with China, like, the threat is not that they are on par with the U.S. It's that they could be, be could be, you know? So it's a, it's about a rising possible replacement, not about a necessarily, like, equal rival still. But they could be, but remember, uh, according to Gordon Chang, they're also going to collapse anytime soon. So it's like, the, yeah. it's, again, that fascist tiger point. They're both simultaneously strong yet weak, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, the focus always uh, comes back to China, which is uh, an ongoing theme of both this episode and the entire time we've been covering Ezra, which Ezra really, really wants us to be fighting China uh, in the world sphere. So, Ezra, I will say so after Ben Weingarten unleashes everything that we just heard. Ezra does follow up by saying he doesn't understand the world's obsession with Ukraine. And I find that a very, like what he terms the obsession is that like we're dedicating resources and we're also like hurting our own population by like sanctioning Russian gas imports and stuff like this. And that is hurting us at home by higher prices of gas and stuff like this. And he's like, I don't, he doesn't understand why governments are doing this or like Western governments are doing this. And I'm like, how, how can you not understand this? Like, I mean, it's one thing to not want, like, you can have criticisms of how we're handling this, but, like, another country invading another country is still a big deal. Like, it was still a big deal when America did it in Iraq, you know, just as it is a big deal when Russia is doing it in Ukraine, and it should be a big deal, which is why I think people, not just governments, but people everywhere are reacting emotionally to these things, you know. It's a a legit thing. And people want to do, I think people genuinely, uh, whether th- whether the outcome is a good thing or not, people genuinely want to help people and don't, you know, I think a lot of people are seeing bombs being uh, blown up on the news and are worried about people. 
which is reasonable. I don't know. Ben then ends the discussion by suggesting that Ukraine is bad, actually, since uh, Hunter Biden invested money in a Ukrainian biolab and also Hillary Clinton spied on Trump using Ukraine. <laughs> now, I, I, I didn't clip this because he goes on for a long time, but nothing he said and nothing I could find indicates that anything he says here is true. <laughs> I don't even know how to analyze this. Hillary Trim spied on Hillary Trim. Hillary Trim. Yeah. How did how did Clinton during the presidential campaign spy on Trump using Ukraine? I don't I don't know. But it, but apparently I mean if we trust the guy who thinks that Ilhan Omar married her brother, then you know, got to trust him on this too. Exactly. So then we get to March 31st, the Thursday. And Ezra does an extended monologue on how Ukraine wants to ban the letter Z. Have you heard about this at all? Vaguely, like they want to ban the thing that is like used as a Russian propaganda thing, like probably within that context. So, I mean, that the operative word that you just used there is in that context. So I guess like a lot of the Russian tanks have had like the Z on the side of the tank. And so what they're encouraging other governments to do, because like it wasn't clear to me. I think Ukraine obviously has passed some sort of law respecting this, but they're encouraging other governments to do the same. And it's, it's specifically in blocking, like uh, encouraging governments to ban the flying of like the the Z as a sign of like promoting the Russian military. Okay. It would be like the equivalent of like flying a Nazi flag, you know? So in Germany, that's illegal. And I think German act like passed a law, certain areas in Germany passed laws saying you can't fly a flag promoting like the Russian army with a, the Z on it or something like this. Right. And like, is that going to, <laughs> Is that going to to save the world? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, either way, I don't think it's that big of a deal either. But like Ezra makes it out like they are literally banning the letter Z. Uh, and he's like, what about my name? I have a Z in my name. <laughs> Just like a quick cursory look up. Z isn't like a letter in Cyrillic alphabets also. So it's not like it's going to really impact. No, it's it's literally the flying of the flag such that if you fly a flag with a Z on it, it seems like you're promoting the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is why they want to like stop that kind of like showboating to promote the Russian military. Yeah, that's all. That no, it but is. what I'm. What I'm saying is that, like, that letter does not exist in the Cyrillic alphabet either. So there but, is, like, but Vienna, like this, it's it, not though, banning the letter because it's not a... You, <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. Ezra did a whole monologue. How dare you contradict it? <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> More importantly, though, it's like, because, like, the whole... I, I didn't clip, I didn't 
I have nothing more to say about Ezra's uh, extended monologue on the letter Z. He li- he literally gives like the history of the Z, like when he's like Z is an older letter than W. <laughs> it's been around longer, Vienna. Yeah, like <laughs> the Latin Z that we are familiar with. One does not exist within Cyrillic alphabets, and two is like being specifically used in the Latin thing for the invasion. So it's like, hmm. I don't know. Like, I just... Amazingly, it has a specific context that is not good. Yeah, but if the Ukrainian president's name is Zelensky, what, what, is his name now banned? Think about the consequences, (laughs) Vienna. Think about the consequences of banning the letter Z. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> Zelensky is banned. His, now, his name is now Ilensky. Saul? <laughs> Saul Ilensky? We, uh, so anyways, that his whole thing is about the banning of Z, but more importantly, he wonders, you know, we're banning the letter Z, but why aren't we banning China, though? <laughs> For the for the listeners at home, I wish <laughs> Vienna's response is non-vocal, so you can't hear it on the podcast. <laughs> but it is partly why I'm laughing right now. <laughs> I just, huh? Yeah, we're like, like we need to ban China. I don't. Know. <laughs> he comes up with this great story too. So he says that. Uh, and this is the first time I've ever heard this. He claims they skipped G when naming Omicron. Uh, so I guess like they skipped over a few Greek letters to land on Omicron. Yeah. And G was one of them. XI. Yeah. And no, they did do that. Yeah, well, he says the, this is the claim, though. So he claims it was done because they didn't want to offend China's leader, Xi Jinping. Yeah, that was part of it. When I looked it up, like that was not the reason given. So like... Well, they said like, yeah, they said it indirectly, but like... Because what the Who said was they didn't want it associated with anyone's name. And since G is a common both first name and last name, they didn't want anyone associated with the virus. And so they opted for Omicron, which I doubt there's anyone named Omicron, right? That is what the Who said. Now, whether or not it was secretly because they didn't want to offend Xi Jinping specifically... I don't know. Sure. <laughs> but Ezra... Yeah. They also skipped over new because it's confused with uh, names. new. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, I, I, I doubt it directly has to do with Xi Jinping. But, like, it's related because Xi does share the name, you know. Mm-hmm. And Ew. it's pronounced differently anyways, so it's kind of a whatever. But... This gets to a broader point, which is like, it's come up several times in doing this show, and it's the weirdest thing. His argument lately for sanctions on China seemed to be like this. He goes, uh, Russia is bad, 
But look at all this Russia-phobia. I mean, they're banning the letter Z. Like, this is also bad. But then he goes, uh, China is bad. Why aren't we engaging in xenophobia? Like we engage in Russia-phobia. We should, therefore, be xenophobic. <laughs> but I think, like, if it's bad to be Russia-phobic because the Russian government is bad, why is it good to be xenophobic if the... Chinese government is bad. Like, I don't... <laughs> but that's the structure of his argument every single time this comes up. Russia is doing a bad thing, but we shouldn't be Russia-phobic. China is also doing a bad thing. Why aren't we also being China-phobic towards them? <laughs> uh... Like, it's, it's just like, it's so bald-faced like racist against chinese people <laughs> like what yeah. else do you put this that's that's Israel. like apparently russians shouldn't be blamed for their government but like screw all of chinese people because their government is bad fantastic but to add a fun little story to his xenophobia monologue ezra wants to talk about a proposed hyperloop project connecting calgary and edmonton in fairness to Ezra, the proposal does sound a bit overambitious and silly. So I think part of the proposal suggested it was going to create 100,000 jobs. And uh, that seems... It's going to break down all the time, so... <laughs> well, I'm also like... Uh, that's that's a big chunk of those populations. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think they're going to find enough job, like enough people to... employ. If it's going to need 100,000 people, where are they going to get these people from? It is funny, though, that throughout this segment, Ezra doesn't seem to know the difference between high-speed rail, high rail and Hyperloop because he uses them both interchangeably uh, throughout the whole segment. Uh, <laughs> so those who might not know, high-speed high rail are the things that actually go on tracks and go really fast. The Hyperloop is a proposed uh, idea that has not come into fruition yet, which is to use... Kind of like how they use in like old warehouses, uh, like to send mail, they would like create pressurized pneumatic tubes and use the air pressure to shoot the tube from one spot to an X. So you used to have these in old warehouses where you would stick like uh, a message in a thing, stick it in the tube and it would shoot it across the warehouse to where it needs to go uh, using compressed air. Now, yes, Jody, I've seen the movie Elf starring Will Ferrell. <laughs> I'm explaining it for the people who might be like, you know, five who are listening to the podcast. Well, if they're listening, then they should watch Elf starring Will Ferrell. It is the season. <laughs> Fair enough. Tis the season. <laughs> <laughs> However, when it comes to transporting human beings, this seems like a rather silly idea. Uh, a lot of people have criticisms about this including the fact that, like, shooting people in a pneumatic tube going, like, G-force speeds where any imperfection can cause, like, jostling and, like, whiplash is probably not a good Jody, idea. Jody, we want to rend flesh from bone. <laughs> also, probably, like, like, it probably costs a ton of energy to pressurize the tubes to get the air pressure to shoot the thing, and then, like, how do you stop it? <laughs> so many 
Some, I'm not an engineer. I just know that a lot of other engineers have uh, come out criticizing it. It's a project that is often promoted by, uh, you know, uh, Elon Musk, who's a, a big supporter of it. And a lot of people look at his plans and go, this is highly unrealistic. Like, why don't we just build high speed rail? It kind of does what everything that you want it to do without the uh, uh, added cause for injury that might happen. <laughs> And are way more uncomfortable, you know, shoving everyone into a, a tiny tube and launching them seems way worse for people than, uh, I don't know, sitting in a chair. Is it not like you go into a capsule and the capsule gets launched? It, it, yeah, but it's a capsule full of other people. <laughs> okay, but it's not like, you know, I'm going into the tube and I'm just going... Pew. It's kind of like that. It's, it's... See, I'm... <sighs> See, I think I think we should do that. You should have to be naked because, like, you obviously can't transport anything in your pockets or like in a bag if you're going that fast. <laughs> but I think that's a very funny means of transportation. So I could just imagine, like, if like any structural integrity issues too, and like the tube is exploding with all that compressed air <laughs> and launching people into the sun. <laughs> you know. You know Futurama, where, like, the intro, they always have those tubes? Yeah. I think, yeah, we should do that. And then, like, you know, if you just build it above ground, you have full visibility for when a person gets turned into paste, when it messes up. Uh, so you know, you know, when it needs to be cleaned. Um, yeah, and, like, or... you can have just, like, mini <laughs> ones that you put all of your stuff in next to it and just launch that, too, and it'll just be, like, shrapnel coming out the other end. <laughs> Or we could just have trains, you know? <laughs> but Jody, which one is funnier? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> the other thing, too, is like, you but, can't... But if you want to transport people, the, the, the operative thing you want is for the people to be alive at the other end of it, right? <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> but not necessarily. True. Okay. Depends on if this is like some uh, perverse torture device or a transportation mechanism. It's a means of preparing Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Comes pre-tenderized. Oh. <laughs> uh, as, <laughs> so Ezra, I mean like Ezra does bring up some of those concerns with the Hyperloop, so he is at least somewhat aware of... Uh, how that might uh, affect people but apparently like it's not just the hyperloop like he has problems with rail projects generally apparently he's against rail basically and he compares it all to this simpsons clip have you ever seen the simpsons monorail episode it's a very famous episode with this kind of like huckster who's selling the town on a monorail project that is eventually going to like lose the money, right? It's a it's a scam. But that's the the premise of the show. So he ends up playing this clip and we're going to play it here. But it's it's in in light of him trying to like highlight that anyone trying to sell you a rail project is really just a scam artist. The name's Lanley, Lyle Lanley. And I come before you good people tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, wait just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea and we'll vote for it. All right. I tell you what I'll do. 
I'll show you my idea. I give you the Springfield Monorail. <gasps> I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook. And by gum, it put them on the map. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. What'd I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. That was a great Simpson episode. Now, they have been hucksters. There's been hucksters promoting monorails and high-speed rail in Canada and the United States for, for decades, for generations. You know, California has a high-speed rail project. Lots of people... In California, L.A., San Francisco, voters approved the idea back in 2008, and they assigned a $9 billion, $9 billion U.S. government bond to it, but it's still not built. And the price tag is now $80 billion U.S. So he moves. So again, he wants to highlight that all these rail projects are scams, and he moves to this uh, proposed uh, high-speed rail corridor that's going to go from San Francisco to L.A. And if anyone knows, like, that... Uh, corridor is notorious for like traffic jams and like hardcore traffic because it's like one of the most populous areas in the united states and a lot of people travel up and down that so the idea is like you have high-speed rail it'll avoid all the traffic so what would seemingly take like two to three hours four hours depending on when you're doing it will take you like 30 minutes on this high-speed rail something like this you know Mm mm-hmm Great. It seems like a great plan. People voted on it. There was like money set aside to do this project. However, after they voted for it, Trump pulled out some of the money from the project, uh, basically like hindering a lot of it uh, from its construction. There is one section that has been partially built and it was going to be like the first section, which isn't it's like kind of like closer to Sacramento and is like a smaller section that is eventually going to be a part of the whole section. They've hit some roadblocks, which have to do with like land acquisition, because a lot of people are still unwilling to give their land. But also they're having trouble uh, getting investors that initially signed on to the project, but have since pulled out. And part of that is due to the fact that like a lot of the investors have stated that they're afraid that like Americans are like a car people. And they're like, it's just a cultural thing. So even if you build this thing, it's not going to work. No one's going to ride it or some shit like this. Uh, <laughs> and so even though they promised a lot of these funds ahead of time, like some shit has like gone under. And again, uh, now that Biden's president, they're they're hoping to get some investment. But I haven't heard any sign that he has reinvested in this like train thing. So yes, mm-hmm. it is a partially built train thing that's now proposed to be completed like in 2030. So it like could be a long time out before this thing is done. But it's like, at the end of the day, I'm like, wouldn't that be a good thing to have high-speed rail between L.A. and San Francisco better than the fucking, like, cars that pile up on that, like, freeway? Like, how is... Yeah. (laughs) The obvious example is, like, look at China. Like, they have really excellent high-speed rail that they built in 10, 15 years that kind of goes across most of the country now for quite cheap like sounds pretty nice and i mentioned that this is a fun story of xenophobia so you've hit on where this goes next which is that ezra wants to point out that one of the investors in this california rail uh is chinese and not only that but the proposed Hyperloop project between Calgary uh, and Edmonton is also 
uh, funded by Chinese companies. Now, we should say before I even play this clip that you hit on one of the reasons I think is obvious for why Chinese companies will be investing in this is because China has a lot of high-speed rail. So maybe it yeah. has people with a little bit of knowledge on how these projects work and <laughs> might see it as and, a good investment and can help out. Yeah, like one expertise to knowing that it works out pretty well. Like <laughs> those two things alone. But of course, uh, China simply being involved is evidence of like, I don't know, China taking over Canada and America, essentially. But what was that part oh, there? No. China East Resources Import and Export Company. So they're going to own this monstrous monorail, eh? Who on earth are they? Well, here's their website. This is what they say about themselves. They say, established in 1993, China East Resources Import and Export Company is a wholly state-owned company with independent legal status. Oh, okay. So the Chinese government wants to own the monorail in Alberta. Monorails are for thieves and, and grifters, um, suckering people like in that Simpsons cartoon. They don't make money or save money, never have. Even in dense places like Japan and China and California, they certainly won't work in sparse Alberta, connecting two cities that are already very well connected by road and air. This is a scam, obviously. Most train fetishes are. <laughs> train fetishes. <laughs> oh, no. Not investments in infrastructure. You notice, like... How evil. <laughs> You know, the operative move there is him saying, like, uh, you know, the trains aren't going to make the money or something or like they're they're not a good investment. Now, researching this question is very complicated because you highlighted that in China, for example, uh, they have been pretty good investments. But that is depending on where the trains are built. So in really, really dense places, uh, trains can turn a profit because a lot of people use them. But part of the goal for like, train construction is to make the city accessible to people who live like outside the city to like connect them in right and mm -hmm. but that means you're sending the trains out or sending transportation out to less dense populations and those lines often will generate less profit so like for example in japan i think overall the trains uh have not been, say, quote-unquote, profitable in terms of, like, the fares do not compensate the maintenance and construction of the rail lines, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that's left off the table here, or not considered, is are trains supposed to turn a profit? Because roads don't turn a profit. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> what I was thinking, too. Like... <laughs> Who, right, like... Who pays for the maintenance of roads? Who pays for uh, uh, the people who do the maintenance on roads? Who pays for highway patrol? Who pays for <laughs> all, the, all the things that go into road maintenance? Comes out of our pockets through taxes. Just like, well, that would be his argument. We're paying for trains out of our own pockets. That's bad. But like, we do the same with roads. We do the exact same thing. It's government spending. It's what we choose to spend our government resources on. 
And if one of these things is better on the environment than the other, why would we not opt for the one and not the other? Seems like a no-brainer to me. <laughs> but of course, like, I think they would fall back on, which is the argument that you get from a lot of people, which is that the cars, that cars give you like a sense of individual freedom and, and whatnot, right? So it's making it about the individual again, uh, which also like pulls on this idea that somehow Americans are necessarily a car people, right? Uh, is there like appeal to that like rugged individualism where you could go wherever you want to and like wherever you choose or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. We, we've learned this as well with the global pandemic, which is that like, you know, societal goods matter. Having a populace that is vaccinated matters. Coming together and working together on common goals is good, actually. And that, uh, I, I mean, it works the same with traffic laws. Traffic laws are good, actually. We shouldn't have people just driving wherever the fuck they want to without, like, uh, signs. <laughs> Big traffic signs. Jody, we should just have dirt and mud roads. <laughs> Maintained through constant use only, not by um, infrastructure crews. Everybody's in it for themselves. Good luck. I mean, but that is, that's the libertarian fucking paradise, yeah. isn't it? It's like, no, it is. no, no regulations, no rules, just everyone out for themselves. Uh, in their minds, man against man. <laughs> Uh, well, and of course, somebody on... has to own those well, yes. patches of dirt roads. You too. defend yeah. your dirt at the barrel of a gun. <laughs> yeah. But there's no government. It's just you defending your your sovereign territory. The price of passage goes up when it rains because it's harder to get through. Uh, and it's timed per minute that you're spending on the road. It's just so ridiculous. I mean, not to yeah. mention, like, the thing that annoys me, too, about all this is all the externalities in, like, road infrastructure. So, like, even when there's, like, potholes, they don't get repaired right away. Damages your vehicle. Uh, and so, like, a lot of the external, like, so in terms of, like, the government using their budgets to repair rail infrastructure, we are the ones out of our own pockets investing in improving road infrastructure by repairing our cars out of pockets because the roads have holes in them. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> which which in turn is like bad on our pocket where it would be way better again if we socialized these things. But, sure would uh, be nice. But yeah, of course Ezra has bad takes about uh, rail. <laughs> I told you though, this is the housing and rail rail uh, transportation show. We then move on to the interview segment, which is uh, Joel Pollock. And Joel Pollock is silly again, editor of Breitbart News, uh, on almost every week, and he's here to discuss Hunter Biden's laptop. Do you remember the Hunter Biden laptop story? Vaguely, I don't honestly remember what was like supposedly on it something about ukraine maybe yeah i mean like because he he had some work at burisma which was like a ukrainian uh oil company and they 
the conspiracy mill is that somehow he got that position because he was well i mean this this part is less controversial that he got the position at barisma because uh joe biden was the vice president which does make a lot of sense he had the name recognition and a ukrainian gas company is probably like yeah come on to our advisory board we'll pay you and now look we have the we have the son of a vice president on our team you know uh does make sense okay Corruption exists. No surprise there. But then it like strains, like it goes into these like weird conspiracies that somehow, you know, the Biden information or Biden people were in with Ukraine. And that's why like Ukraine would not help Trump and like just a bunch of like conspiracy shit. Okay. None of which is backed up by anything. The laptop thing comes from this idea that apparently Biden dropped off a laptop at some Delaware laptop repair store and then forgot it there now when this story broke was uh during the election campaign where it was trump versus biden and the new york post reported a story about this stolen laptop because somebody took the laptop or the the person who owns the delaware laptop was making these or the store was making these claims etc etc and the new york Mm -hmm. post posted this story uh like talking about what was on the laptop Now, a few of the reporters on that piece took their name off the byline because they didn't want to be associated with it. And when it was inevitably posted to Twitter, Twitter uh, blocked those New York Post uh, tweets suggesting that it was like false information and stuff like this. It was also tied with like Rudy Giuliani. So Rudy Giuliani was one of the sources for this story about the laptop. And so a lot of people were highly critical of what was going on. Now, that was back during the presidential campaign. This week... There was some reporting by both the New York Times and the Washington Post that verified that some of these alleged like emails on the laptop have been authenticated. Now, this has led the right wing to claim that this is proof that the laptop story was like real. Mm-hmm. And from what I could tell, that isn't necessarily the case, because even in the reporting, it just says that these emails are alleged to come from that laptop. Now, I, like, I don't know why the journalists are hedging their bets there, unless even they're not sure that that was the source of where these emails came from. But they have emails that they have authenticated, regardless of whether the laptop story is true or not. But the whole reason why Joel Pollack and Ezra want to talk about this is to be like, this is evidence of like media conspiracy theory that they decided not to cover this story and they blocked that New York Post tweet back during the election and they wouldn't talk about it. But it's like, of course they wouldn't. Like this is, if anything, this is journalistic integrity. <laughs> and I even have problems with the Washington Post article on this because they also complained that the media did not take this seriously back then. But I was like, based on the information, the story that I laid out there, would you have trusted that information? I wouldn't. No. Yeah, like it sounds sketchy. <laughs> it sounded sketchy as fuck. So anyways, that's the whole point of why they're complaining about this. But the rest of the discussion is between Ezra and Pollock and why, I guess, Biden's son benefiting, like the nepotism regarding Biden's son is much worse than the nepotism of the Trump family. That's sort of, <laughs> that's sort of the argument that we're going to get into, okay? So this, uh, this is Ezra sort of beginning the, that, that line of inquiry. 
You, you said so many things there. I mean, let's go back to the beginning. You say that there may be a prosecution of Hunter Biden. It's funny because for the entire Trump uh, administration, we heard, oh, the walls are closing in on Trump. The walls are closing in on Donald Trump Jr. and the crooked family. We learned everything, every allegation. And of course, there was no prosecution. Uh, there was no there there. There was no there there when it comes to Donald Trump. <laughs> there was no there there. So I just wanted to go over several of the the ongoing criminal cases involving Trump, which is that he's currently uh, under investigation for tax fraud in the state of New York. There's an ongoing investigation in Georgia regarding election interference that's still open. Several cases involved with January 6th, uh, not just in his role in fomenting the riot, but also the planning and uh, stalling of the procedural vote to certify the election and a scheme to appoint fake electors. So all of that is ongoing in the things that Trump has done, uh, talking about no there there. But uh, there's also an ongoing civil case where Trump is being sued by E. Jean Carroll for defamation after he called her a liar uh, for accusing him of raping her. So... oh. These are all ongoing uh, cases where Trump is at the center of those uh, investigations. Okay? But that's also not to mention the other cases that have already been resolved, either before him being president or after, including uh, when he illegally used his charity's uh, money for his campaign <laughs> and was uh, legally forced to spend the money that he spent on his campaign to charity. So it was something like $2 million he had to give to charity. He was forced legally to do that. Uh, there's also the case where he settled uh, and had to close his own university that he created because it was a scam university. <laughs> should do that again. That would, that would go over pretty well right now. He should team up with that University Austin or whatever. There was also the leaked tax returns that showed that not only Trump and his kids, but also his dad had a history of tax evasion and tax fraud. This was leaked to the New York Times, but because it like surpassed, I forget what it's called, the uh, statute of limitations. Statute of limitations. They they yeah. couldn't get him for any of this, but he they have evidence that he committed his company, which I, I mean he is currently being investigated for current tax fraud within the state of New York, but. It shows that his whole family has an entire history of doing this and uh, got away with it because America. So, you know, there's there's just not a whole lot of there there, right? Mm-hmm. No there there. <laughs> Pollock then says that the difference between Trump and his kids and Biden and his kids is that the Trump kids benefited off of dad's business career while Biden's kids benefited off his political career. I don't see a difference. <laughs> but apparently there's a, there's a difference here. I mean, it would be one thing if Biden like strong-armed the Ukrainian company to give his son a position. But if anything, the company just took advantage of name recognition and hired Hunter, which is still yeah. problematic, but it's not the same kind of problematic, right? And it's not necessarily nepotism in that sense. It's more like Hunter is just taking advantage of his name, right? Like, I mean, is it's that still, still nepotism, nepotism, but it's not 
Well, I thought you know, like nepotism is when you hire like your own kids into your company or something like that. Like rather than like your kid uh, just using your name to like get jobs or whatever elsewhere. No, I, I've always like thought of it more along the lines of like just generally benefiting getting hired. Yeah. Like benefiting and monetary or like otherwise like social gain through the use of like very close friends or family like yeah i guess like even like how you described it because like he didn't use i mean like he didn't directly use his friends and family to get it though you know what i mean he just got it because he shared a name like yeah i don't know yeah but that's yeah that's still it like Anyways, it's it's less clear, I think, than than the obvious example of the Trump family of just hiring his kids directly <laughs> and then appointing them to positions of government once he was elected as well, just because they were his kids. Like, let's not forget, Ivanka and her husband were a part of the government simply for being related to Donald Trump, which violates uh, laws. <laughs> they were not challenged because they kept on, like, uh, pushing them to the Supreme Court or whatever, but uh, that happened. And Joel Pollack ends with a very uh, interesting prediction, which he claims that he does not think Biden is going to uh, going to see through his entire term in office. In fact, he claims he's going to leave office after the midterms. So uh, there you have it. That is what Joel Pollack thinks, and uh, we'll see... If that comes true, I don't think it's going to come true unless Joe Biden uh, dies. But uh, we'll see. And now we get to April Fool's episode. And Menzies is the guest host. I have no clue where Ezra was on Friday, but he was not in studio. And Menzies decides to do an entire monologue on how transphobic he is. So I'm not going to play a lot of it. But I will play one specific clip, which is that he begins by complaining that Disney theme parks are now going to say, hello, everyone, rather than hello, ladies and gentlemen. Is April Fool's Day even relevant anymore? Which is to say, in our politically correct woke cancel culture, isn't every day April Fool's Day? Statues of historical figures are being beheaded and torn down. Sports team nicknames ranging from Crusaders to anything Native-related are being eradicated. Even the term boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen, you know, descriptors that are relevant to 99.99999% of the population are being reimagined. Oh, you didn't hear about that, folks? Earlier this week, and I swear, this is no April Fool's Day joke, Disney theme parks decided that they are no longer using such vulgar language as boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen when it comes to making PA announcements. Here's what Disney's Vivian Ware had to say in a recent conference call that was thankfully recorded. Quote, we provided training for all of our cast members in relationship to that. So now they know it's hello, everyone, or hello, friends, end quote. 
By the way, Vivian Ware is Disney's diversity and inclusion manager. What does a diversity and inclusion manager do at Disney World? You know, remember when going to a theme park was all about having a fun time, going on thrill rides and eating corn dogs and cotton candy and trying to win a stuffed animal? Now we must worry about diversity and inclusion and, of course, avoid using, quote, gender greetings, end quote. <laughs> I love, like, we used to be able to have fun, and now we got to think about including people. <laughs> Disney, a place famous for, you know, having never been racist. Yes. But, like... What, like, by implication, is Menzies not saying that he wants to exclude people? That yeah, Disney yeah, should be no, exactly. What we need is white nationalist theme parks that exclude other people from participating. Wasn't it more fun when we could just enjoy our corn dog while other people get to suffer? <laughs> I really wonder how much, like, pushback other, like, language shifts have gotten historically. Like, when Shakespeare was like, hey, I'm going to call this thing an elbow, where people are like, no, I'm calling a crook of my arm still. Die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's a shift. That's it. It's not that hard. It's not that confusing. It's not even, like, directly referencing trans people. It's just, like, it's shorter. It's simpler. And also has the benefit of, like, not being exclusionary. Like, but you see, when I get on my roller coaster and the person goes, Hello, everyone. Welcome on board. I go, What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it is boys and <laughs> girls or I am getting out of this theme park. <laughs> I've had I need minutes. you to call me a special little boy <laughs> whose today is, their, is his his special little day <laughs> at disney world god i, <laughs> I gotta wear a shirt that says i have penis and balls <laughs> you need <laughs> see that's not that's not specific enough though jody it's, it has to say i have penis and it's balls and i'm a boy because yeah. of that <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like the stakes could not be lower. <laughs> this is such low stakes. Hello, yeah. everyone. And hello, friends, is apparently like, you've gone too far now. You. <laughs> I also love, okay, he's like, what is this, like, what does a diversity and inclusion person even do at Disney? And meanwhile, you're describing what they're doing. <laughs> that is that is your job. How do we make people more included at our theme parks? By saying hello, everyone. You did your job. Congratulations, Miss Ware. <laughs> you, did, you did it. Oh, my God. And this is a song, like, again, like, di fuck Disney. Like, in a sense, this has nothing to do with Disney at all. <laughs> like, a shit, Disney is a piece of shit. It's just more, and like, you know, are they doing this for reasons that involve, like, they actually want to benefit society? No, they're probably doing it because they realize being inclusive means more people are welcome at their park. Like, it is strictly mm -hmm. a monetary thing. 
which is why it's so silly that David gets mad at this. It's like, don't you realize by like, I don't know, alienating a certain market group that you uh, are removing the possibility that they would spend money at your theme park. Therefore, Disney wants to be inclusive. (laughs) (sighs) So then... The more, like, transphobic segment, uh, which we covered a lot last week, so we don't have to get into it, which involves Leah Thomas, uh, the swimmer who uh, won their race, which is pretty awesome. And she, I guess they took a photo of, uh, NBC News took a photo of her, and they photoshopped it to a certain degree. What it looks like to me is they just removed, because she was wearing those goggles that you wear when you swim, and she had these, like, red lines under her eyes. And NBC just, like, touched it up so those red marks are gone. I don't know why they did that. Because the right-wing media sort of, like, had a field day with this to be like, oh, my God! I guess they thought that the touching up of the image was supposed to make her more feminine than she is. So, therefore, like... Like, I don't don't know. So, they're, like, trying to make her look more like a woman so that, like... My guess is also they probably just do this because it makes people look less, like, weird. (laughs) Like... Yeah, having goggle mask lines on their face. Yeah, like, if, (laughs) if you're taking a photo for a, like you know an article or whatever like yeah generally they're photoshopped what a surprise the thing like i bring this up because they they talk about that like how this the touching up of the image is supposed to make her look quote-unquote more like a woman but like it literally like she doesn't look all that different (laughs) to me it just looks like her like I i don't know fine sure whatever uh so they that's that's the the argument. This is and of course he says a lot worse. Uh Menzies does. So we're we're not going to touch on all the transphobia, but like this is the beginning of the piece. But then he goes on to compare what happened with the touching up of the photo on NBC with a story involving General Motors uh where NBC stuck some like incendiary devices on the front of cars and like slammed them together and then suggested that these GMs had like faulty gas tanks which were causing these explosions and the conclusion was like look NBC lied in the past in a story and had to recant it and was like sued by GM so therefore it's just like touching up the photos of Leah Thomas right Like what do you, like I again? What do you even say to this? It's just like yeah. you are a fucking idiot, Menzies. No, like I just I have nothing. Like that's the whole piece. <sighs> that's the whole opening monologue. So uh, enough with that, uh, Leah Thomas. Uh, you're cool. Keep doing what you do. Uh, win more races. <laughs> then we get to uh, the the end interview of the uh, the week. And it's with somebody named Alex Epstein. Now, I had never heard of this person before. I'm guessing you've never heard of this person either. Any relation? I do not think there's any relation. Okay. As far as I'm aware, no relation. And I'm not even going to spell it out. Everyone probably knows who we're talking about. (laughs) Yep. But Alex apparently used to be a member of the Ayn Rand Institute. So you can kind of tell where his politics are leaning. 
and he published a book in 2014 that was called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, in which he received funding from the Koch brothers to write, and he had a blurb in the book by Peter Thiel to promote it. So you can also see where he's coming through with his politics on that one, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the premise of the interview, why Alex is on the show, is that he claims he's being canceled by the Washington Post. And this is because the Washington Post had an article that was criticizing various people who were, like, denying climate change and other things and are, like, pro-oil and gas uh, writers that produce these kinds of materials. So, of course, they're going to cover someone like this, who, again, wrote a book that was called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which I might add sounds very similar to uh, Ezra's ethical oil, you know, uh, mm. in similar uh, frames here. Now, the smear <laughs> that he claims Washington Post is uh, doing towards him is that they try to claim that he's racist. And again, they play this game where it's like they're calling me racist to take away from the fact that like they can't deal with my totally correct arguments. There are parts of the article that clearly address his arguments on climate change. They just also pointed out that he's a racist. OK, so mm-hmm. <laughs> now <laughs> the fascinating thing is, OK, he responded to this article in The Washington Post by doing a huge Twitter thread which contained multiple videos of a PowerPoint presentation debunking all of uh, Washington Post's uh, points about his racism. (laughs) Okay? Wow. I went and watched a lot of it, and it was really ridiculous. I stopped watching after a while. But the apparent smear, so these are the claims that he's refuting in the PowerPoint presentation. One, uh, or both of them involve a time when he was 18 at Duke University, I think back in 1999. The two main points are that he claimed in these articles that he wrote when he was 18 at Duke University, he claimed that Western civilization was superior. And in another article, he claimed that MLK was a communist whose policies uh, proposals will hurt black individuals. And so these are the claims that he says the Washington Post is highlighting to say that he's racist. Mm hmm. Now, based on that alone, do you think uh, he's racist so far? He said white, Western civilization is superior and that MLK was a communist who's going to hurt black people. Yeah. Okay, good. This. <laughs> so this is his defense, okay? Regarding the MLK bit, he argues that the essay that he wrote when he was 18, so he still stands by his position, by the way. So for this one, he stands by it. He argues that... Back then when he wrote it, Duke University celebrated MLK Day, but did not similarly honor Abraham Lincoln, as well as other uh, white political figures, with uh, their own days of celebration. And he thinks that these other white figures are more deserving of the honor because MLK was unfaithful to his wife, a communist, and therefore was a super bad dude who we should not celebrate. And (laughs) so that's what he wrote, and he still defends it. And he says that uh, the reason why it is not racist is because nowhere in the article was he talking about the color of anyone's skin. So there you have it. (laughs) (sighs) It should be obvious to anyone that the reason why this is racist is because 
when you're focusing on the flaws of the one black figure and not the flaws of the white figure to say we should be celebrating one over the other, uh, it seems like you're motivated to do so by something. I wonder what that could be. This is just kind of a side note, but like, when did MLK Day become a holiday and is there a Lincoln holiday? I don't know. Because like, I don't think there's a Lincoln holiday. Lincoln's Day? And... Abraham's Day. Um... Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a Lincoln um... holiday. It's just that we're not honoring these people, you know? I think uh, MLK Day was done by Reagan, was it not? So that would have been the 80s at some point. Yeah, so it was like a federal holiday. Yeah. Yeah, 1983. Um, the holiday was first observed on January 20th, 1986. So, one was a federal holiday also. And you're like, oh, we should celebrate the dude who oversaw the largest mass execution in American history equally with the guy who's already just a blanket federal holiday. Like... Yeah, but he was unfaithful to his wife, you know? I mean... Do we even know? Like, I, I didn't look into this. I, I think that question is still like up in the air whether he was or he wasn't, wasn't it? Or like, it doesn't matter. But like, yeah, either way. I have no idea. Like, I honestly don't care whether it is the case. But it would be also funny if it was, in fact, not the case. <laughs> Although he was pretty communistic in certain respects. So like, uh, he was a socialist, yeah. like no. social democrat type. Like he was like, uh, unlike Alex, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. His argument for the superiority of Western culture is the same thing. So he says that uh, uh, when he said that, he wasn't talking about skin color. He was talking about ideas. So therefore, again, checkmate Washington Post. I'm not being racist. (laughs) Okay. However, when you read the article, he was comparing New York to Chad in why the the Western civilization is more superior. now, why would he choose those two locales, shall I say? Uh, seemingly, one of them has a darker skin tone, right? I wonder why he keeps pulling these specific kinds of examples. It's almost like it's indicative of a certain bias that this person has. <laughs> hmm, Perhaps. He also says he changed his views on this, okay? So this this is the one where he did change his views over time. He said even though he still thinks Western civilization is superior, he says other civilizations can teach you some things. So his views have changed. <laughs> so before he thought that there was nothing to be learned by anybody else. No, because we're superior. I mean, I don't, like, if we're still superior in his eyes, how can we still learn from it? I guess like we have net 10 ideas and they have net nine ideas, but one of their ideas is not the idea that we have. So we can gain one of their ideas and now have 11 in the marketplace yeah. of ideas. Yeah. It's, it's like Civ six, you know, like, <laughs> you know, maybe they, maybe this other civilization invested in a different culture tree that we haven't done yet. And so, you know, even though we have superior science, uh, other all other culture trees and um, military technology, um, we could still like you know 
grab that culture tree for ourselves type of thing because that's how real life works yeah now yeah <laughs> now i i've chosen not to take any clips from this alex guy because he's long-winded and just doesn't shut up and so it was hard for me to just like take like little clips and like try to make it work okay but we will end on one piece of his which was one of my <laughs> it's just this is like the ultimate like nuh-uh you uh, <laughs> response which is that he goes everyone else who called me racist they're the real racists the attacks against me and against fossil fuels in this case are racist. And I mean that very directly. So basically people are saying I'm a racist for saying Western culture is superior, white Western culture is superior. If you call it white Western culture, Western culture is defined politically by freedom. That means you think freedom is white. That is a racist idea. And the other thing is you are advocating policies that deprive the world of fossil fuels. Who gets hurt the most from that? People who lack low-cost, reliable energy. Most of those people have darker skin, so-called people of color. So it's a racist idea directly by saying that freedom is white, and it's a racist idea indirectly because energy deprivation harms people of color the most. So I, and this is why, you know, certain uh, allies of mine in Africa have stood up and said, hey, this is a brother to us. This guy has stood up for us when everyone else was oppressing us with these anti-fossil fuel policies. And I will continue uh, to do that. And I am not going to be one bit deterred by being called racist, but I will use the term racist where it is justified. And the attacks on me are racist attacks. <laughs> Oh my god. Is that not the best defense against racism ever? They call Attacking me brother. Attacking oil is racist. <laughs> they call me brother. <laughs> I don't I don't just have black friends. Entire nations call me brother because I support their oil industries. Holy shit. <laughs> I uh it's amazing in doing the, like, I'm not racist, you are. Uh, he comes across very racist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, he, not to bring up um, my favorite group, um, the anti-abortion leftists on Twitter that are totally real and not astroturfed. Um, like, it's the same kind of arguments where it's like, oh, wow, abortion really hurts people of color. So it's a racist to support abortion. <laughs> and it just like totally, absolutely made up stuff that like, they're just like trying to latch on to that little bit of like progressive language and talking points and just twist it to be this like, to serve this just like horrible ideology i just want to know like what this other country is that's full of non-white people that are really like we need we love our oil and gas and therefore we love you coke funded individual <laughs> um, wrote this book. jody it's called the oil industry there yeah <laughs> Like, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
No, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> they need locals to oversee the infrastructure of extraction. Like, I, yeah, just like, oh, there's so much layers to how fucking messed up this is. Because, like, again, like, what you're highlighting here is, like, the resource extraction in these countries is like an, an extension of an imperialist project of like mm-hmm. Western nations exploiting the resources of other countries. And here he is claiming I'm not racist for supporting that because the people we installed to like steal these countries resources for our taking, they, they uh, support me because I don't know. <laughs> Jody, he's not racist for feeling the white man's burden. Um, it's Ramadan, so I'm gonna do donations instead of, like, readings, I think. Um... The Hyatt Mosque in London, London, Ontario, I guess I should specify, um, does a, like, (laughs) weekly soup kitchen, um, and they have a, like, way to donate to that. Um, So, yeah, send them some money so they can help feed people, because things are rough here lately. I don't know if... I don't know if you've been downtown lately, but things suck right now. Yep. Um, so send them, send some money their way and help them keep, uh, keep up with their weekly meals. That's, that's what I got. You know, speaking of housing, maybe, uh, we shouldn't have evicted people during a global pandemic when, uh, the housing pricing, uh, is skyrocketing. Maybe all these things were bad ideas, but our government fucking did it anyways. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, things are about to get, like, or are starting, like, last week significantly worse now because all of the winter, um, like, housing for, like, homeless people projects have ended. Their funding ran out, and despite repeated requests by the City of London for more funding from the province, uh, the Ford government didn't even respond. So all of the people that were housed throughout the winter are now just out on the streets again. So, yahoo, love to live in these wonderful, wonderful times. Yep. Well, I mean, at the very least, there will be an opportunity to oust Doug Ford in June if you want to try to take it. Uh, I know, like, electoral politics is not the be-all and end-all, but... uh, I would like it if Doug Ford was not a leader. <laughs> it's just a little yeah. moderate change would be a little nice. A little nicer. I mean, Horvath came out today with uh, a huge mental health funding plan as well. So like one and a half billion and talking about like, you just access it with your OHIP card. You don't have to pay. So that sounds pretty nice. I wouldn't mind that. So uh, yeah, something to consider. Might as well throw in a vote. You got You got that little vote. Might as well spend it. <laughs> Vote harder. <laughs> I mean, there's other things you can do, like supporting uh, the, the causes that Vienna and, uh, you know, building the uh, building community to help people as well helps. But yeah, uh, join your local tenants union. Yeah. Join your, you know, join Acorn. But also fuck Doug Ford. I mean, that's. 
<laughs> Always and forever. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please uh, consider giving us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. Uh, if you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperials News with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening, and monorails get canceled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?